So I mentioned before I had news about our uh, borehole project. And uh, we're trying to raise $25,000. When I talked to Nancy Price about this, uh, my idea was, look, we'll mention it at church, but I'm going to go rob those golfers at the golf course and get them to pay for this. And um, the total amount given by the golfers so far is zero. Um, and the total amount given by our church is uh, 22500 And so we're close. Got another week. Um, I feel like someone, someone tonight <laughs> is feeling the call to write a check. Um, so, but we are accepting checks tonight. And, but I'm so excited about this because, uh, um, one, I wanted our, the first thing, you know, that we uh, tried to raise money for, especially to be something that wasn't for us. And second, um, a lot of you are young, at least relatively, and we've gotten to see over our lives how willing God is to provide for his work. And um, just in pretty dramatic ways, it's become one of the easiest places, I think, for us to have faith, just because we've seen God do that so often, and I'm just excited for you to see it too. That's a lot of money for us to raise for our little church. Don't have a lot of deep pockets, there aren't a lot of big gifts involved in what's happened, but a lot of people are practicing giving sacrificially uh, in ways that are probably a little scary for them, and it really tickles me to think of what you're going to get to see God do. So, thank you. Uh, another thing, announcement-wise, next Sunday's Easter, and we're going to meet outside. So, um, a couple of things with that. One, pay attention to the weather. There should be a tent up over the courtyard but um, it may be hot, and, um, and it may be bright and sunny. If it's too windy for the tent, uh, the sun may beat down on you a little bit. Uh, you also may want to bring a soccer chair or whatever you call those chairs. We'll have these chairs that we can take out there, but if you'd rather have something else, uh, note to bring that. Same time, though, 5 o'clock for Easter. All right, um, if you have a Bible, please open to the book of James, chapter 1. We're doing a series on the seven deadly sins uh, leading up to Easter, and today is anger. And I didn't know much about anger, but I did ask Julie a lot about it this week, so I feel like I'm a little more clued in than I was before. Um, so anger is a deadly sin, but it's funny because not all anger is sinful or wrong. You know, most anger is sinful and wrong, but not all of it is. Um, and the wrong kinds run both hot and cold. You know, I'm... I'm a golfer, so, um, and I've cut out several golfer angry illustrations for tonight. You'll be relieved to know, but this one you'll understand. There are uh, two famous golfers uh, that played kind of as I was growing up. One was Tommy Bolt, famous club thrower and editorialist as he threw his clubs. Uh, you know, hot temper, and therefore, uh, you know, pretty entertaining to watch play golf. And then there was another golfer named Kyle LaFoon who did not lose his temper on the course, but was known to tie his putter to the rear bumper of his car to drag it on the street on the way home to punish it. <laughs> so, there's your hot anger and your cold anger. Right? Um, but anger's really everybody's problem, and it's a problem that runs pretty deep, and I'm going to try to argue for that a little bit, because I think what is important for us to see is that anger is such a problem for us that we can't just manage it or kind of fix it, but we actually need Jesus Christ to intervene supernaturally in our lives to see real substantive change with regard to anger. So let me pray, and then we'll read the Scripture. Father, we ask that you would um, 
open our hearts and minds to you that we might um, maybe see ourselves more clearly than we usually do. But especially we pray that you'd open our eyes to you so that we would have hope in your grace more deeply than we usually do. So come speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 19 of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've seen the pictures of the volcano in Iceland this week? Um, it's beautiful. It's stunning. Um, you know, not all volcanoes are beautiful uh, because some of them are so devastating. This one, you know, it's kind of like a Hawaii volcano. It's just beautiful uh, fire coming up out of the mountain and these lava flows that are going down that aren't running right through the city and hurt a lot of people. So, you know, tourists are coming to look at it. They're calling it the Disneyland volcano, you know, because people want to come see it. Um, that one hadn't erupted in 700 years. Uh, but like uh, 11 years ago, they had another volcano erupt. And uh, you may remember that one because it stopped all the air travel in uh, the European Union for several weeks uh, because it blew so much debris into the air. And then like 200 years ago, they had a volcano in Iceland that killed a fourth of the population because sulfur dioxide was so thick in the air. And um, so volcanoes are a good metaphor for anger, you know, because you've got sometimes an eruption that is very visible and often very destructive. But anytime there's a volcano, even if it's not erupting, you know that underneath there, there's magma and it's hot and it's, uh, there's always seismic activity around. Even if, even if nothing's being blown into the air right now, um, you know the potential is always there and it's very unpredictable and you don't know when it might go off. And um, even when you have the Disneyland volcano and it's, and it's pretty and people want to go see it, even that's uh, pretty devastating. Somebody, somebody said they, uh, they took a frying pan with eggs and bacon to go out to the edge of the lava flow, you know, to, uh, to try to cook eggs and bacon on it. <laughs> and they wound up with a melted pan. So, you know, you don't fool with volcanoes, and the best option really is to keep your distance because they're deadly. And that's why it makes such a good metaphor for anger, because anger is deadly. It destroys relationships. It destroys people pretty often, and you don't need many examples to know that, um, whether it's boiling and eruptive or whether it's magma underneath the surface or whether it's just ice-cold resentment. Anger affects all of us and hurts all of us. Good news, which is what we're here to talk about, not just the bad news, the good news is that Jesus can change furious people. Right? And His grace can actually change the underlying heart issues that cause anger to be such a problem in our lives. And so uh, that's what I want us to think about tonight. But first, let's talk a little bit about why we get so angry and why anger is such a problem for us. Why am I so angry all the time? If you're like me, that's kind of uh, ask that question rhetorically and mysteriously. Why am I angry all the time? I don't know is usually the answer. Um, I know like when I wake up from a nap, I'm angry, absolutely undirected. It, I'm just, I'm not angry about anything. I'm just angry. And um, that's weird to me. But 
when I'm wide awake and feel good. I'm borderline you know, magma under the surface angry most of the time, and you'll wonder why if you're anything like me. We talked about lust last week, and wasn't that fun. Um, lust, we say, is a disordered sexual desire. Well, anger is also a disordered desire. It's a disordered desire for what? Justice. That's right. It's a disordered desire for justice. Is the desire for justice a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? We're made to long for justice, to be upset when we see injustice. God is angry at injustice. And the Bible talks very often about God being angry, but His anger isn't disordered. His anger is righteous, Um, When you talk about righteous indignation, God's anger is righteous indignation. It has a righteous object. He hates anything that hurts his creation, his people, uh, that he loves. He uh, is offended by oppression and cruelty. He's proportionate in his anger. He doesn't overreact. He's slow to anger. It says, uh, actually the image is he's long of nose. Is the Hebrew example. I mean, it takes him a long time to get angry, unlike some of us. And his anger is ultimately driven by love um, rather than selfishness. And all of these things, you can tell, are in contrast to us. But you can think about Jesus, for instance. Um, He was brought... Some people brought him a guy whose hand was withered and had been withered from birth on a Saturday, the Sabbath. And they did it to test him. They didn't care anything about this poor guy with his hand. They brought him to Jesus to see if he would heal the guy on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know how uh, messed up you have to be before. The idea that you're going to see somebody's hand healed is a bigger, is a, is a smaller deal to you I mean, than someone keeping or breaking the Sabbath. But they were, in this case, just doing this to test Jesus. And it said he was angry. When he heard this, he was angry at their hardness of heart. He was angry that the guy's hand was withered because he made this creation good and it's been ruined and it's not supposed to be that way. And he was angry because the Sabbath, this good gift that God has given to us because he loves us, uh, had been turned into some sort of self-righteous tool in their hands. But Jesus was angry, it says. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about after the triumphal entry on the first Good Friday, uh, first Palm Sunday that Jesus went into the temple and turned over the uh, tables of the money changers because he was angry. But it was proportionate anger, and it was righteous anger. Ours, not so much. Uh, We tend to have more unrighteous indignation or self-righteous indignation when we're mad. We get mad at the wrong things. Um, I don't mean like inanimate objects that won't cooperate because, of course, you're supposed to be mad at them. But, uh, but like if somebody rebukes you and corrects you and you know they're right and you know you needed to hear it, does that make you any less angry to hear it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you so much for pointing that out. <laughs> um, we get angry at the wrong things. We get angry too quick. We are short of nose. Uh, some of us, um, Scotch-Irish types especially, are prone to bad tempers. Some of you, you know, Norwegian types are prone to icy, long grudges, right? That's being mad too long instead of just too quick, brooding resentments. Uh, we get mad 
in an unloving way. Uh, We see injustice and we want to crush it instead of wanting mercy for the people that we see as perpetrators. And our anger is disproportionate. We get too mad at the wrong things and not mad enough at the things that should make us mad. Our anger is disordered. That's what we say. It's not righteous anger. And that's what James says here. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't. So we also have some special provocations. Uh, the, The media silos of the culture war are driven by anger. And so um, sort of the the grist for the mill of social media and uh, narrow news outlets is anger at the other. We're angry at the other. And it's delightful to bask in our anger against the other, to despise the other, and to give rein to our anger. Uh, We rationalize our anger uh, because we say we're right. And so that's an unusually difficult provocation for people who live when we live. Another unusual provocation for us, especially as the Christian church these days, is we're trying to do a little better with regard to social justice issues, to paying attention uh, to the suffering of people around us better than we have in the past. But if you go out to try to redress social injustices, you enter into a world of temptation with regard to anger and self-righteousness. Because I'm going to go squash those people who are doing things wrong and making things bad. And thank goodness for me, where's my cape? I'm going to go where to do this because I'm awesome. And it's very hard to feel like you can uh, stand up to injustice with the kind of force that you sometimes need to. It's very hard to do that with love as your motive. It's very hard to do that without self-righteousness driving you. Um, It's extremely difficult, I would say. I've been reading a book about uh, the uh, lead-up to the 9-11 attacks. Uh, the rise of uh, bin Laden and al-Qaeda and some of the radical Islamic movement. And they were the perfect example of people who felt a grievance of injustice, um, totally rationalized their anger, and because of that justified any sort of behavior that they thought would help, uh, no matter how immoral. They wound up rationalizing killing innocent children for the sake of their righteous cause. And they're not that weird. Right? They're not that weird. All of us rationalize our anger in ways that lead us down paths that we know don't produce the righteousness of God, as James says here. Um, you know, it gets really easy with social justice to fight dirty for a good cause. And, you know, that's kind of not okay. As I was uh, reading and thinking about the uh, Al-Qaeda book, I kept running across uh, quotes from Martin Luther King Jr., and was trying to figure out how in the world did he know how to do what he did so well? Because he, he you know, refused violence as a means in the civil rights cause because he said, I'm not looking to crush people, I'm looking to convert people, which was a pretty Christian sentiment, right? You know, but he was able to engage in social justice with a righteous anger that, that was propulsive for him uh, and for the movement, but managed uh, to keep so much of what Jesus wanted us to do with um, loving the people that we were having to oppose. Think about the letter he wrote to us white ministers from the Birmingham jail, and it was extremely gracious, you know. And so more of that, please. So I, I could have just said anger is a big problem, isn't it? And you could have nodded, and I would have saved 10 minutes. But um, how about this? Anger is a gift to us, too, though. 
Um, because anger is a window into our hearts, which are usually pretty hidden from us. We don't understand ourselves all that well. And anger gives you a window of insight because it shows you what your assumptions are about your life. Like, who do you think you are? What do you think you deserve? Uh, How much control do you expect to have in your life over the world and over your own life, over other people? Uh, What feels super threatening to you? What makes you feel really insecure? What are your idols? What do you worship instead of the true and living God? Anger exposes all those things. It pulls back the curtain. And in some ways, it, um, it uses judo against the devil, who would love for us just to say we have a struggle with anger and never understand what it is that provokes our anger. Because anger is a symptom, right? It's a symptom. It's our idolater's hearts that, that uh, produce anger. But when we get really mad, we can see them. And they lose their disguise. And we can figure out, you know, what is it that my anger is guarding, protecting, that matters so much to me? And usually the answer is some version of this. My anger guards my kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of Charles, guarded by anger. The kingdom where I am in control, where I am worshipped, and where I am served. It's amazing how many people who live in my kingdom, on the road especially, don't acknowledge my rule and get in my way and don't do what I want them to do and don't defer to me. So I try to teach them. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, that's what we're angry for, is to protect our, our domain, our rule. And when you start to look at anger this way, and you see the window into your heart with anger, then you really get down to the brass tacks of anger, which is anger ultimately is directed at God. Uh, to be a person who's full of anger is a, to be a person who's angry with God. Basically to say, one, how dare you try to run my life when I would prefer to run it myself. And two, how dare you run my life this way? Because I deserve a lot better than what I'm getting. And that makes me angry all the time. So that's kind of why we get angry. Answer from the Bible in very short form. But if that's true about anger, then then to fix it, you need a lot more than anger management, right? You need need more than just techniques where I'm going to count to ten before I yell at somebody or... You know, I'm going to go get a punching bag so I can vent my anger and feel better and dissipate it. Or, or you need more than just to tell yourself, well, it's really very unreasonable to have a bad temper. And so, you know, I shouldn't do that. So I won't do that. Um, or to say serenity now. <laughs> Insanity later. The, uh, doesn't really work. It's, those are, that's just managing symptoms, right? It's managing the symptoms of anger, not the causes of it. I'll give a special style points uh, to a, there's a psychologist named uh, Solomon Schlissel. He's a Jewish man, and he said he treats more people for anger than any other emotional disorder in his practice. Um, but he had a technique for, a, he had a Jewish man that was coming to him because of his temper, and so he, what he told him to do is, he said, I want you to write a series of $100 checks, and, and, uh, and, but we're going to make them out to the Ku Klux Klan. He probably said something. I don't know how you write a check to the Ku Klux Klan. You know, you'd think with my accent, maybe I would know that, but I don't know that. And uh, like, but the sorry, 
but let's just say to a, uh, an anti-Semitic group. So he has these $100 checks, written, and the psychologist keeps them. And every time the guy loses his temper, he mails it in. He mails one of them in. I thought that was clever, right? But that's symptom, man- symptom, symptom management, right? He's just trying to not lose his temper, right? Just holding it down like, you know, a volcano that isn't exploding just yet, but could any time. We need more than that, right? And the good news of the gospel is that there's more than that to want and hope for, that we can have a freedom from anger that's uh, more robust than just anger management. So let's talk about how Jesus changes furious people. First thing, uh, first thing he does is he forgives us. And that's no small thing. Um, most of us think of anger as something that needs to be excused rather than forgiven. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have lost my nipper. I'm sorry I got angry. Excuse me. Um, but God looks at anger differently than that. It's very deep-seated. It's a big problem. It's deeply offensive. Ultimately, we're shaking our fist at God and saying, I would rather rule my life than have you rule my life. And that needs more than an excusing. That needs forgiving. And Jesus Christ, as we celebrate this week especially, was willing to come and live and die for us, to go to the cross for us. Our anger is so serious that it required the death of the Holy Son of God in order to be forgiven but we have the death of the Holy Son of God, and we can be forgiven. And uh, if, that was, if that was the end of the good news, that would be great good news. Um, but there's more than that. We actually can begin to be changed now in our lives by Jesus' influence and work in our lives. The, uh, the New Testament says the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the influence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians produces things like love, and patience, and gentleness, and self-control. All, right? All of the antidotes to anger, that these things uh, are things he works in our lives. Now, part of that's bad news, because in order for us to deal with anger, we have to be deposed from our throne as the kings of our own lives. And Jesus is very willing to depose us, to usurp our place, and humble us, to challenge our sense of entitlement about what I deserve and how my circumstances ought to go according to me, well, Jesus doesn't have my same ideas about that. And it's very humbling to defer to a different king than yourself and uh, think about what you deserve. But when you look at Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, um, what he's given for us, it changes your idea of what you deserve. You know, we look at the cross and we will with, uh, you know... A, fair amount of reflection on Friday talk about what Jesus did on the cross and um, what you learn pretty quickly when you look at what Jesus did on the cross is uh, you don't want what you deserve from God. Jesus got on the cross what you deserve from God. And when we confess in the creed that he descended into hell, we're saying he endured hell in our place. And so... um, that humiliation, that sense of I don't deserve anything, uh, is a big part of what undermines anger in our lives. I know it's, it's the bad news part of the good news, but it's, it is important. That humility, uh, that sense that I don't deserve anything, undermines some of the fuel for anger in our lives. But the uh, good news part of the good news is that God bathes us in his mercy. 
He shows us mercy. Angry people who try to rule our own lives in defiance of Him, and yet He loves us and shows us mercy. And um, what that means is the new king that's come into our lives has our good in view. He doesn't want to crush us with His rule. He wants to ennoble us, humanize us, uh, cause us to be who we were created to be, which is remarkably kind. He said He will be our defender. He'll be the one who lifts our heads and gives us glory that we fight for with our anger all the time and can't get. And Jesus says uh, He will give us that. He'll crown us as His own uh, brothers and sons. And He does this as a gift for us and willing to provide for us so we don't have to be so defensive about protecting what's ours all the time and so nervous about it. We don't have to be panicked about our reputation. We don't have to be panicked about our place in line or our rights because he has our back, right? We have one who cares for us, who's looking out for us, who's in control of the world. And he may not do what we want him to do, but he's wiser than we are, and what we want isn't as smart as what he wants for us. So, I mean, these are things, like all the things that we're so angry to fight for and protect are things that Jesus says he'll give us. And they're unassailable. We don't have to fight to protect them because they're gifts from him. Now, he reserves vengeance for himself, but that's a gift to us too because somebody needs to take vengeance in the world, right? When you see cruelty, when you see injustice, when you see oppression, um, do you really want a God who just says, eh, what are you going to do? Or do you want to appeal to a God who says, I will establish justice and righteousness on the earth? Uh, Jesus Christ, who is coming back to judge the world and set it to rights, to put an end to oppression, to hear the cries of the oppressed and to answer them, uh, to set things back right. Um, but it means we don't have to take vengeance. We're not even allowed to take vengeance. But it doesn't mean we have to not care about vengeance or justice anymore. It just means we have to defer to God, whose timing is different from ours and whose seriousness about it is different from ours. You know, His, his sense of justice is far more refined than ours. And so we defer to Him. But maybe the biggest thing is that as people who receive mercy when we didn't deserve it, when we were God's enemies, as people who've received mercy, we look at other people now differently. We look at perpetrators of injustice and we recognize ourselves in them. And we say, that's somebody like me who has problems like I have. And if I'm different from them, it's because God has been gracious to me. And if they're going to change, it's because God will be gracious to them. And that's what I'm going to hope for. And that's what I'm going to pursue. Even if I have to, in righteous anger, uh, oppose them and try to stop them, the motive for that is going to be like Jesus' motive towards us. It's a motive of love for them. Like, I want good for them. I want to see them repent and receive mercy like I've received mercy. And I refuse to be condescending because I know that I'm not a better person than the people I oppose. And that's a, that only crazy Christians think that way. Only people who see themselves as objects of mercy think that way about their opponents, especially in a battle of justice. So Jesus does that for us. He gives us hope for oppressors, hope for everybody, because there's hope for us. And that's a big deal. Um, the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, but the grace of Jesus does.
You know, I mean, I guess that's the summary statement. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. You can pursue this change a little bit. It's not just like a magic poof in your life where you're not angry anymore because you're a Christian. Trust me. I've <laughs> been a Christian a long time, and I've been angry even longer. But um, it's probably a lifelong battle. Uh, but it's not a losing battle, and you do make progress. But one thing you can do that's helpful is you can do a little... Uh, Watch a little game film, a little pre-game and post-game film uh, to scout yourself. So like post-game is after you uh, blow up in anger or find that you've been grinding your teeth and haven't been able to go to sleep for four hours because you're thinking about what somebody said. Um, To stop and ask your questions, you know, what went wrong here? Um, What am I defending? What What is this lawyer in my head, this prosecutor that is condemning this other person in my life, um, what, are they, what is that prosecutor defending? What is it that is so precious to me that I'm this mad about it? Um, am I mad for my kingdom's sake or for Jesus' kingdom's sake? Is my anger proportionate or not? Um, is my anger driven by love or wanting to crush people? Um, and when you start asking questions like that, you can start actually repenting on a deep level instead of saying sorry I lost my temper excuse me you can say Jesus I love being the king in my world and somebody uh, dishonored me and I want to smash them and I realize that's because I'm still trying to be the king and I need your help to change that's a real different prayer and a more serious prayer and a more useful prayer and then the other thing you wind up doing doing the post game film review is you you do that insidious, uh, subversive thing, which Jesus always says we have to do, which is pray for our enemies. And uh, you start praying for your enemies, you can go to sleep. You know, that actually works. That's, that's as close to like a pro tip magic that, that you get in the Bible. Praying for your enemies, it's amazing what that does. You can also pregame, though, if you're going to be in a situation you think tends to make you angry. Um, you know, like if you're going to be around a referee or something, <laughs> you know, like temptation's coming. But you can sort of say, look, where am I usually vulnerable? Is it when I'm tired? Um, is it um, when I'm hungry? You know, when I'm stressed? Is it that maybe I know that game matters too much to me, so I get too mad at the ref in that game? Um, you know, you just self-scout. What is it? Where am I easily provoked? And uh, maybe you avoid some of those situations. Um, but if not, maybe you take a little extra time devotionally sort of steep yourself in God's mercy, remembering that you're not the king of your own life, remembering you don't deserve anything from Him, remembering that the people that you're going to be mad at um, are people like you who need mercy like you. And, you know, you prepare yourself a little bit and you can pray in advance. And that's helpful. Um, This is Palm Sunday beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week is a pretty angry week in the Bible. You know, it starts with Jesus coming into the temple. He's, first, he's kind of brokenhearted, angry about Jerusalem not recognizing their Messiah when he came. And he's crying then in his anger. And then he goes into the temple and sees that the only place the Gentiles have to worship uh, is overrun by merchants. You know, trying to make things convenient for the Jews to worship there, but making it really difficult for the Gentiles. And he's so mad at that, he turns over their tables with a whip. And then the religious leaders are furious at him the whole time. I mean, they're murderously angry at him all week. 
He's trying to test him at first, and then they're just plotting to try to kill him. And then the mom, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday, Thursday, crucify him and give us Barabbas. Mobs tend to be less rational than even angry individuals. And in this case, the mob was murderously angry. But into this world of anger comes the true king, riding gently on a donkey, humbly, righteously indignant, but ready to suffer to set the world back to rights, to establish justice in the world. He's not going to crush people. He's going to be crushed to establish justice in the world. Laying down his life for the sake of his enemies, for the sake of people who are not just people. Washing the feet of those who would betray him. And then bearing the wrath and anger of God that he didn't deserve at all, but that each one of us deserves. That's why we have hope about anger, is because we have a Savior like Jesus. And one who uh, has beautiful anger, righteous anger, merciful anger, loving anger. When you see Jesus this way, it's very hard to make the case that God has ripped you off that you've gotten a bum deal in life, that you deserve better. When you see Jesus like this, you know He doesn't hate me. You can't read the tea leaves of your life and figure out whether God likes you or not. But you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you say, He loves me. He loves me. My circumstances uh, may seem to indicate something different than that, but this cross tells me for sure He loves me. And He's wiser than me. I can trust Him. So that's, that's what we do with our anger. We take it to Jesus. He's the model of redeemed anger and what our anger will be like when it's rightly ordered again. And He's the only true hope for furious people. Well, let's pray.